Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Mike Weinberg. Mike is the author of three best-selling books on selling. So Mike, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, Tats. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to your listeners. Yeah. So I read your book on sales management, Simplified, and it was, it was awesome. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. You know, it's, it's interesting when not everybody enjoys it because I'm so direct, right? And in the first half of the book, I'm so blunt and exposing some dysfunctions I see. But I will, I will tell you this. One of the common reactions I get when people call me who have read the book and they're looking for some help, they will typically say something along the lines of, I feel like you were following us and our company around with a video camera for about a year. Like, how do you know all this? So it's some of the issues in there are pretty common. Pretty common. Yeah, and I listened to the audio version, and I don't know if you had any hand in selecting the person that that did that, but I felt that they're talking directly to me, and uh, I was like, no, okay, it's okay, Mike, we'll we'll improve. (laughs) You know, it's funny. Yes, I did help pick that narrator because my first book, I was naive, and I didn't know how much it mattered, and the person they chose to do it had the wrong tone wasn't funny, wasn't blunt. So he couldn't carry off my words with the intention, I hope. So for the second one, and I had some success at that point with the first book, I had a little more leverage and I told the publisher, I'm helping you pick this person. So yes, I, he, 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 he did a great job. We'll just say that. <laughs> awesome. So you talk about so the, the blunt things that you, you pointed out to people earlier in the book. Can you mention a few of those sort of common mistakes in, in sales management? Oh my gosh, it's a long it's a long list. It's everything from companies who have lost their view of what the sales manager's job is. They have this incredibly low view of the sales manager. They solve every problem, they put out every fire, they get buried in all kinds of corporate crap. Like that's that's one end of the situation. All the way to the other end where sales managers have forgotten how to hold people accountable or they let their salespeople live in reactive mode or they don't address underperformance, all the way to compensation plans that don't make sense, that actually create complacency. And if you think about it, the word compensation and the word complacency <laughs> start with the same four letters. And I'm happy to like share that. I, I think I figured that out writing a, a paper one day. So there's, there's a lot of, of common dysfunction. But let me even just say something at, at a bigger picture level. Sure. And this will resonate differently with different people in your audience, depending on where they are as entrepreneurs or owners or leaders in companies. Very often, I get a phone call from an executive who says, hey, could you come help us with our sales problem? Because I've gotten known as the guy that will help you win more new sales. I'll help get your salespeople more proactive and more focused and creating opportunities instead of just babysitting customers. And so what's implied when they ask for my help is that the salespeople or the sales team is broken. Mm. They're complacent. They need better selling skills. They aren't being proactive. And I get that. And the salespeople certainly can do better. But what I learned the hard way is in a lot of those cases, the person making the call to me is actually part of the challenge and the reason they're not producing optimal results because 
They haven't figured out the leadership pieces. So the culture is not right. The sales management isn't right. The compensation's not right. They're not doing accountability. They're not keeping their best people happy and motivated. They're not coaching up or coaching out people who are struggling. They're not clear in providing direction to the sales team. Well, we don't want entrepreneurial salespeople every day making up strategy. So all of those things come together where I, I have to come into an executive and say, hey, I get that your salespeople could do better. I'd love to help them. I've got great content. They could be more strategic. They could be more proactive. They could tell a better story. They could prospect more. They could run a better sales call, be more consultative, ask better questions. I, I get all that. I love that stuff. I'm a sales nerd. But if you don't get that big leadership, culture, talent management piece right, then we're never going to fix this for the long term. And that was my wake-up call as an arrogant, naive consultant, right? Going into these companies thinking, oh, I could fix it. If I, if I help them sell like me, I could transform the organization. And I learned the hard way by banging my head against the wall that if you don't deal with that bigger stuff and deal with executives and managers and, and their role in sales, then you're never going to fix it. So that, that's really why I wrote that book in the first place. Wonderful. So, so you described some of the pieces that are required to do that leadership piece well. Now, I think in your book, you outlined what a great organization acts like, feels like. Can you just dive into that a little bit? It's so interesting because everybody wants that. <laughs> if I polled sales leaders and executives and managers, they would say the number one thing they really want is this healthy, high-performance, kick-butt sales culture. Like they want it, the kind that attracts the right people and repels the, long one, the wrong ones. And what, what does that culture look like? Well, it, it, it's loud and it's fun and it celebrates successes. And the salespeople are highly valued. You know, I go into some companies and the salespeople are treated like dirt. It's like a, it's a low-level job and, you know, they, they give them all the menial tasks. And when things are bad, they blame the salespeople. And when things are good, they take the credit themselves. When things are good, marketing gets the credit or strategy or <laughs> operations. But when things are bad, it's the salespeople's fault. So in a healthy culture, it's loud, it's competitive, it's fun. The salespeople are celebrated, but it's also super results-focused. We're always talking about results. We're always comparing our actual results against the goals we set. Oh, we publish reports. We do serious accountability. People have stretch goals and we, we regularly review those goals and hold them accountable. A really healthy culture is almost self-policing mm. where the people, like the team members themselves have set such a high standard that they will manage out the people on the team that aren't pulling their weight or they're not cutting it. So those are just a few really attributes of, of a healthy sales culture. Mm. So it sounds like there's a level of transparency on sort of goals within the, the sales organization and that everyone kind of knows what everyone should be doing and where they're at. Is that, is that the case? Yeah, it's a fair way of putting it. What's confusing is in most jobs, it's very clear whether someone is succeeding or not, right? If, if you're an accountant and you're not getting your financial statements done on time or you're making mistakes every month and the bank has to call the CFO at the end of the month and say, hey, um, Sarah, in your accounting department, you know, this is like the third month in a row she sent us statements with mistakes. Like, how long do you think a CFO would let that go on without addressing it? Either coaching Sarah up to an acceptable level of accounting performance or coaching Sarah out of that job, right? Yeah. But in sales, the goals are transparent, as you said, and they're clear. But what I see over and over again is that sales leaders pretend 
that underperformance isn't happening or because sales is like this confusing, mysterious black box, they don't have the hard conversation with the salesperson who struggles month after month after month. And the manager lives as what we call a prisoner of hope, just hoping this underperformance is magically going to correct itself. So that the word you use, transparency, is really important because one of the most, let's say this way, the highest, in my opinion, the highest value sales management activity is a one-on-one accountability conversation where you actually sit down alone privately. I don't think you do accountability in public. I think that's weird. I think you sit down privately, could be by phone, could be by Zoom, could be face-to-face. And you have a short, formal, data-driven, rational, non-emotional. And it's weird for me to say that because I'm such an emotional person. But (laughs) when we do accountability, it's not bad words. It's not threats. It's not hands flailing and spit. It's like, hey, let's look at how you did against your goal. Let's look at the results on paper, right? So we can have a good conversation about why you're succeeding. Or if you didn't, you can help me understand why you missed your goal by so much. But if managers would just do that on a regular basis, review results against goal and have the salespeople have to explain their results, they would get tremendous lift. And then if they would add to that meeting, the second part, which I advocate, is instead of just looking at past results, now let's talk about future results, which in in the business-to-business sales world, for the most part, we would call the pipeline. So let's spend the time digging in, because I can't change yesterday's news. What you sold yesterday is over but I can definitely affect what you're going to sell tomorrow and next week and next month by looking at the opportunities you've created and you're advancing in your funnel, right? For future sales. And even if necessary, I could get in and and look at the activity that you're demonstrating against the customers you're supposed to be meeting with and, and pursuing for business. So if managers would just own accountability results and pipeline and activity, It's amazing the sales lift we can create. And that has nothing even yet to talk about. Coaching, mentoring, developing people, getting the right people in the job. Just the act of doing real accountability and being transparent about goals and results and asking hard questions can actually, and I've seen this happen, transform culture. Hmm. Because everyone gets that we're really focused on performance here. And let me just say one more thing, Tatsy. You don't have to be a jerk or mean or belligerent or not nice to do good accountability. There's nothing mutually exclusive about having a fun, celebratory, even family-like culture, and also being laser-focused, on the other hand, on results. You can marry those two together. It's Mm -hmm. not one or the other, it's end. You can be loving and caring and for the people and and even like family environment and be really tough on results and laser-focused there. And that's when you have the type of culture that everybody wants to work in. Wonderful. A family that holds each other accountable. <laughs> yeah. As we're coming up on U.S. Thanksgiving here, which when we're recording this, probably it'll, it'll, it'll air after that. We're, there's a lot of conversation, right? I know you had your Thanksgiving in Canada last month. It's a weird time, right? With COVID and families and dynamics and wondering, are we going to get together and are we going to be nicer to each other? So <laughs> yes, a family that holds each other accountable. There's a great analogy for, for sales. Wonderful. So You talked about different phases of companies and stuff like that. One of the interesting transition points that that I find interesting and I want your take on is as in a smaller company, sales management's done maybe, maybe partially by the founder, one of the owners. At what point does do you transition to installing a full time sales management person in that role? 
That is a loaded question. <laughs> and I can only imagine what's prompting you to ask it from your own experience with clients and in, with founders and entrepreneurs. Like most questions on this, this one, I'm going to give you an it depends. Sure. It depends on the bent of the founder, the entrepreneur. Do they kind of get sales and are they good at sales and are they good at mentoring salespeople? Sometimes I see that and it's a very natural thing for that person to keep hold and even remain in the role as corporate head of sales for a long time, even until they have maybe even a half a dozen salespeople, if they have the bandwidth to actually hold them accountable and mentor and coach, et cetera. Um, at the same time, what I often see, and I, I wrote it, there's a, there's a significant chapter about this. Very often, the very gifted, visionary, entrepreneurial leader really struggles leading the sales team because they never understand that the people are not as talented as they are. And they need more direction and more clarity and more support than they're used to giving somebody. So I regularly observe those really gifted entrepreneurs that are frustrated with their salespeople because they can't do what the entrepreneur can do, right? You take the typical founder who's, even if he's not a sale, he or she is not a salesperson by nature, you put them in the room with a customer and they either have this charismatic personality or they're just able to talk about their vision of the future and they get the customer to buy into it, even though there might not even be a product yet because it's, it's still in the you know, early stages. And then, I mean, I've literally had this conversation with several CEOs that were really gifted and they can't understand why their salespeople can't do the same thing. And I'm like, because they're not you. <laughs> like, you know, you could sell ice to a dead Eskimo. Like, you know, like there's a, you could, you could give me the crazy sales analogy of whatever you want. I mean, there's, most salespeople need help. They need direction. They need coaching. The other challenge is, and this is where I caution the entrepreneur, the, the CEO to be very careful. If you hire the wrong sales leader, you are screwed. Because you may have worked really hard for multiple years to build up an environment, a culture to get certain people on board. If you bring in a highly egotistical or control freak or manager that doesn't get it, you could destroy your culture. You could run, run away the one or two good people you already have. So I'm very hesitant's not the right word. I ask my clients to be very cautious when they're bringing in a sales leader because it, you could really do damage. So. I'm not sure I totally answered your question. I, I skirted around it for sure. No, no, it, you gave some sort of insight into it. Now, you touched on some good characteristics on sales, sales manager, effective sales manager. What are some other ones? And should you ever put your best performing salesperson in that role? Just teeing it up for you there. You're, you're, you're like, let's just jump in the deep end here together, right? And okay, so- yeah. Let's deal with the first question first, and then we'll talk about your best person because you can, but I'm not usually for it. And we'll talk about why, but that's one guy's opinion. And there are, there are contrarian views on that. The sales manager role is different. And one of the things I write in the book is that the only thing similar between the sales role and the sales manager role in many cases is the word sales. The salesperson wins by being selfish and really focused on his or her own behavior, their customers, their commission. That's what they do. Like I was a good salesperson because I was good at being focused and selfish and disciplined. I struggled in my first job in sales management because so many people wanted a piece of me. And I kept getting dragged to all these corporate meetings and everybody had opinions and wanted me involved in all these things, right? And the reality is that the good sales manager actually 
lowers their own ego and realizes I'm not the hero of this team. In fact, one of my chapters talks about, are you the hero or are you focused on making heroes of your people? And that is not a light question. Like that's a big deal. So what, what sometimes happens is that the sales manager doesn't understand their job is to make heroes, not to be the hero. And they try to win on their own instead of winning through their people. And that is the biggest difference I can tell you between the sales role and the sales management role. So in terms of attributes for the sales manager, this is going to sound surprising to some people listening, but I just had this conversation with someone last week. The best sales manager I ever worked for was a mentor of mine and ended up becoming my business partner. His name was Donnie, Donnie Williams. He's in my book multiple times because he's had a profound impact on me and my life and my career. Honestly, Donnie could sell, but he wasn't like a sales nerd technician. I knew much more about sales process than he did. And honestly, he almost really never understood our business. Like he was my vice president of sales and I was the salesperson that worked for him. He wasn't an intimate expert in database marketing and the services that my company was selling. And later when he was my consulting partner, we would get these engagements where he would teach sales management and leadership to executives and I would teach sales. And he never really understood the client's business in great detail. And while some people go, how's that possible? I will tell you, he was the single best sales leader I've ever seen. He understood how to motivate people. He understood how to do accountability. He understood culture. He understood putting the right people in the right roles. Like all of those are management skills, leadership attributes, right? He didn't have to be a sales technician to be the trainer. And he didn't have to be the, the perfect expert on our business because we had experts. So I just share that because sometimes I see companies looking for a sales manager who is an industry expert and a sales guru. And sometimes what I see, honestly, if you just put someone in the role who is a leader and can motivate people and hold people accountable and actually have hard conversations and understood subduing their own ego to build up their people instead of tear them down and defer and deflect the credit instead of stealing it. Like, but that's a heck of a line right there. That's tweetable. Like, that's, that's what we're looking for in a manager, a true leader of people who understands I'm here to build a culture and drive results and win through my team. Wonderful. So the, the second question is, should you ever put your number one producer in a sales leadership role, even if they, they uh, really want it? Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe. And I know one or two people, in fact, I'm going to be interviewing a guy for my podcast in the not too different future. We're just launching a sales management podcast. And I'm interviewing a guy who was a top producer for years and years and really wanted to be in management. And he did it and he's been phenomenal. But I also have many stories to the opposite where someone was a phenomenal producer and they got into sales management and they flopped either because they were a control freak or because they couldn't understand why no one else could sell like them. And they lived in perpetual frustration and they never got the handle on the fact that they were supposed to be developing people, not taking all the credit and doing all the work. Because if you're the sales manager, who's the top salesperson, and you think you can sell better than anybody, and your company is putting pressure on you to deliver numbers, your natural default mode is to just try to sell. But that is not multiplying yourself into your people. Today, we use the word scale, right? It's real popular. Can, does it scale? Is it scalable? Well, playing the hero and selling for everybody and doing their job, that's not scalable. And you're also going to burn out and die in the process. So, <laughs> like that, so that's where I had caution people. But every once in a while, there is someone who's a top sales producer who is really gifted at teaching 
and understands culture and people and accountability and has a nose for sales talent. And they pivot into a sales role and they do great. But in a smaller company and in a lot of your, your clients and your audience where it's the entrepreneur, I would be very slow to take someone who is my chief rainmaker, who is my number one revenue producer, and put that person in a management role and take them out of the fields where they're producing because how are you going to replace them? So you know how hard it is to find an A player sales hunter who consistently brings in business? I mean, it's almost impossible. So I would be very slow to pull someone out. And usually when I get asked this from the people in the field, because everyone wants my opinion, the salespeople, I usually try to talk them out of it. Because what I often remind them is you think it sounds better and you like the idea of the ego of being in management. You're probably, if you're a top producer, you're probably going to make less money and you're going to have more pressure and more politics and have less freedom. So if you want less freedom and less money and more politics and more pressure, God bless you. (laughs) But if you don't, I would consider keeping your happy little selfish sales job where you're making a lot of money on a great compensation plan and you have a lot of freedom because you produce. So that's my take. Yeah, I think- I'm curious for your take. I'm curious for your take. Why'd you ask that question? Well, it's just, I'm close to something like this. I have my point of view, which is similar to yours, which I think people don't understand management. Like people that obviously don't like management, I can tell, want to get into it. It's There's not a good fit, but it's in their mind, it's quite glorified. And I know for sure that some of these people will hate it. And maybe sometimes they have to experience it to know it, but it's, uh, I think in their mind, it's just something they don't have and uh, they want it. Boy, that's good. Yeah. And and it's natural that you want it. And then, you know, part of being good in sales means you're competitive, right? Yeah. Sometimes you like the attention. Sometimes you like the glory. I never really wanted that. I just wanted to be recognized as appreciated. Yeah. But, But every top salesperson is competitive. And if in your mindset, winning means getting to the next job and the next job is a management job, it's natural that they want that, but it's not always the best for the person or for the company. And that's why I think why you asked that question. Yeah. So it's worth, it's worth going slowly. I'll just say that. Yeah, for sure. I agree hundred percent. Now, as your company scales or manager scales and you're hosting these meetings, at what point does it become too many people? And because I've seen these sort of sales cultures where there's, you know, hundreds of people in the room and there's one guy standing up and doing crazy things. And, but I'm, I'm guessing that's not the best. Like what are the like, optimal size and configuration of these meetings? Yeah. Well, if you're asking how many, are you asking how many salespeople should report to one manager? Sure. It could be, yeah, it could be, uh, yeah. Reporting is probably one thing. Okay. Maybe there's, maybe I'm just touching on different types of meetings that, sure. that reflect on sales. Can you, can you break that down a little yeah, bit? Yeah, sure. So let's, let's just tackle the, the, the highest level. Sure. Because I get asked this a lot. How many people can one manager manage? Yeah. And on the high end, maybe it's 20. Mm -hmm. Maybe. If you're really working with all of those people and you cycle through in your calendar where you actually spend time observing them and working with them and you do a one-on-one meeting with everybody once a month for accountability and maybe you have some other coaching phone call with them, think how quickly your calendar would fill up. Plus, you need to be available for other people that are calling with challenges pricing, deal strategy. So normally what you see, and it's very hard to give you a typical because, you know, what I'm doing in one giant technology company is different than what I'm doing at a trucking company, right? That's selling trucks. Like it doesn't apply industry to industry, but in general, a dozen people is a normal number, somewhere between five and 15 
is pretty much what you see depending on the complexity and what the role is and what other burdens are placed on that sales manager. Are they purely just managing the sales team or are there other corporate responsibilities and executive committee meetings and strategy meetings and product meetings and operations meetings? Because those get old pretty quick. And if you've got a dozen salespeople that you're ignoring because you spend all week in corporate meetings, and there are people probably hearing me say this that are going, amen, preach Weinberg, because he, some, I work with some sales managers. There's one story in the book on the chapter that says you can't lead a team when you're buried in crap. When the company pours all this other stuff on you and expects you to be everywhere and you never get to do your accountability meetings and your coaching meetings and your sales team meetings, you got a problem. You're not working with customers, with your salespeople in front of customers. You got a problem. So the other question I think you're asking me was how practically large can a sales team meeting be? Ask me that question. So I make sure I answer it. Yeah. Yeah. I see different types where some groups are really small. They do sort of role-playing roles. And then I see sort of bigger meetings. Are those different? How do you sort of strategize through meeting cadence and sort of meeting types or, or size? I'm smiling because you just used the word that popped into my head. You said cadence. That's exactly the, the word that I was thinking as you were asking the question. It depends on which meeting we're talking about. If it's a big annual meeting, maybe even a big quarterly meeting where you're gathering the troops from, from wide and far. And, and, you know, and today, unfortunately, gathering the troops in many situations means like we're just getting in a bigger online meeting <laughs> because we're very, not right now, a lot of us are getting together. Hopefully, four to six months from right now, it'll be a very different story. And your country will let people from our country come visit, right? And we can sure. go back to the normal pre-COVID life or at least close to it that we're all hoping for. Sure. But in the, and I, I kind of get where you're going. If you can have a hundred people in the room, that's not something we want to do on a weekly or bi-weekly basis or even monthly. That seems like a once or twice a year thing where you're doing a big conference and you may have some big speakers from the stage and some presentations and some breakouts and some other things, but that's, that's more the, the special occasion. For the regular, what I'd call weekly or potentially monthly sales team meeting, where you're probably getting together for a couple hours, maybe a half day if it's monthly, the smaller, the better. I mean, it might just be your own team. It might be your own team of eight or 10 people and the manager. Maybe you're combining a few teams and you have 20 people in the room. But any, much beyond that, it's pretty hard to work, you know, because uh, one of the things I advocate, and this is the reason very often that the regular sales meeting, let's say it's the weekly one hour 10 people in the room sales meeting, those meetings usually stink. They're boring. They're like drudgery. The manager hates it. The salespeople hate it. They don't want to be there. They're checking their phones. They've got a bad attitude. Part of the reason they stink is because the agenda is awful. And the manager doesn't give the work away. They do all the work. They do all the preparation. They do all the talking. The meeting is just like a giant info dump. It's a monologue. It's awful. My best tip for sales leaders is if you're going to have a meeting with your team, give them the work to do. It'll relieve your burden. Have somebody come and share a best practice. Hey, you're the best we have at stealing customer from this competitor. Would you take 10 minutes and tell us your strategies on that? And then we'll all ask you questions. Or have people come and share their biggest success from the last two weeks. Everyone come in and you got to take three minutes each and tell us something you did significant, a ball you moved forward, a deal you won, an opportunity you created, a customer you broke into for the first time. And then everyone's listening because there's value for the audience, right? Mm -hmm. Another thing I call deal strategy brainstorming. You want to have a great meeting? Pick a couple people who are really stuck trying to get a deal across the finish line or break into a certain type of account and say, hey, you're going to come and you're going to take three, four minutes at this meeting and you're going to tell us where you're stuck and describe the situation and what you've tried and why you're frustrated. 
And then we're going to go around the room and everybody's going to ask you a question. And then we're going to go around the room again and everyone's going to give you one suggestion. You do something like that in your sales team meeting, everyone's listening, everybody's engaged. In fact, I have a litmus test for sales meetings for the team meeting. This is the only question I want you to ask. Do your people leave the team meeting with both more energy and better equipped to do their job than when the meeting started? Do they leave with more energy and better equipped? 90% of the meetings I observe, that answer is no. They're not better equipped and they're frankly de-energized. They're tired, they're exhausted, they're bored. They wanna get out of there. That's, if you're doing that, then you shouldn't be meeting. So I hope, I hope that helps. So the smaller meeting, you can have a lot of energy if you give the work away and the manager doesn't own it all. Mm, that was a good uh, tip on having someone speak on something that they're good at. So I, th- I think that's awesome. I'm going to take that with take me. Take it, use it. It's free. <laughs> it's in the book. Also, I, I, there's one thing I have to ask you because you're so passionate about it in the book is what is a zookeeper? And is there any value in a, having a zookeeper in your company? Okay. Thank you for asking the question. And I'll try to stay calm as I answer it. <laughs> yeah. So let, let me tell you where that comes from. In the sales world, the common expression is, do you have hunters or do you have farmers? And what we're basically asking is, do you have salespeople that go out and bring in net new business and do they kill stuff, right? Go find new business. Or do you have people who farm? They maintain, they caretake a piece of the earth, a territory or an account list. And they pick up new business when they can, but they're mostly concerned with just dealing with managing with what's there. What I tend to find when I go into a company is that they struggle to bring in more business because it's not just hunters and farmers. It's they have very few hunters and the farmers they have are really zookeepers. And the reason I change the analogy is because the customers are alive. And if you're a zookeeper, you let's, I, and I, I use a picture in a workshop of a baby giraffe. If you're the <laughs> giraffe zookeeper, you got to care for that animal. You've got to feed it. You've got to clean up its poop. You got to bathe it. Right. When it gets sick, you take it to the vet. If the other animals are out and they're threatening it, you got to protect it. So if you're wired like a zookeeper, a peaceful, animal loving protector of, of this being that's been trusted to you, that's a great, that's a great person. And you ask the question, are they ever valuable? Sure. If you have a role that is specifically about protecting and nourishing and nurturing existing relationships where you're not asking for much more except service. Because some accounts have a high account maintenance, account management burden. And if you have people that are wired to do it, that's great. The problem I have, and this is where I get emotional, is that the world is wired with more people that look like zookeepers than look like hunters. And the sales population is filled with zookeepers. But management lives in perpetual frustration that these zookeepers one day are going to wake up and start hunting for business. And they call me and say, Mike, I need your help. We're not bringing in new sales. And I'm like, that's great. I'd love to train you. I have great content. But then I get in there and I look at the people and I have to hold up a mirror for management. I go, your problem is that not only do your people that you have don't spend any time selling, they spend all their time servicing, but two thirds of them are wired like zookeepers. They're peacekeepers. They hate the idea of conflict. They're not going to take a gun and go out in the field and go shoot an animal and say, I'm a hunter. They live to protect the animal. So you thinking they're going to hunt, even if you're putting pressure on them, isn't going to change who they are naturally. Their DNA is, a, is to care and nurture, not to slaughter. And so if anyone, I'm, I'm being graphic in my words here intentionally, but 
So if you're a, if you're a leader in an organization, my question number one is, have you really defined your sales roles and what tasks are necessary to do that role successfully? And then what is the DNA, the makeup, the wiring of the person that fits that job? Because if you have a job where you want them to go out and prospect and interrupt people and get customers that don't know you to give you attention and leave their current supplier and come to you, that requires someone who is okay with conflict and risk and pushing back and rejection. I'm wired like that. I got no problem. But there's a large percent of people in sales roles that they hate that stuff. It makes them nauseous. So that's, what, and you can hear my intensity going up as I'm sharing this with you, just because I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking of the frustration that so many executives live with because they don't have the right people in the right jobs. Yeah. So, Tats, that's probably the best I've ever explained that. I mean, I, does that help? It does. It's awesome. It's great. Perfect. Mike, Okay. I could ask you questions all day. I got to respect your time. Is there any last sort of things you want to pass on to the audience? Anything you're working on or something I didn't cover? Yeah, I'll, I'll share a couple of things. One, let me just say this in, in summary. There's nothing I shared today that's complicated. These are fundamentals. Time management, accountability, team meetings, coaching, right people in the right jobs, addressing underperformance. What makes me nuts is that so many people spend all day on LinkedIn looking for some sales management shortcut, like there's a secret sauce or a hack or a new tool or some sales tool vendor that's got the thing that's gonna fix your sales problems. It's all a hoax, it, it's snake oil. It's they're charlatans trying to sell you something. <laughs> there are no quick fixes. There are no quick fixes in sales. You gotta master the fundamentals. So, and, this, and the fundamentals are masterable. There's not any, I'm not, a, I'm not some brilliant guy. There's, this is not engineering and calculus. Like this isn't the moonshot. I'm talking about the basics of sales management fundamentals that honestly haven't changed. So, so that's where I'd go. What I'd say I'm working on is in my world, and we were doing this pre-COVID, which gave us a, a head start. We're doing more training and coaching by using video. And I've got some video products, video coaching series that are self-contained for both sales leaders and for individual salespeople. And a lot of times when a company will engage us to use that content, we'll throw in some free online meetings to help them get going and then jump in on some topics where they need more help. But that it's been interesting to deal with the transition from in-person meetings where I'm still doing some, but they're much rarer to online and then supplementing that with really good video recorded content and interactive workbooks and exercises that help people get the same value they would get if they were paying me tens of thousands of dollars to show up in person. For a fraction of that, they're getting the content and some support. So that's kind of where my business seems to be going right now. And I'm good. having a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for uh, spending the time today uh, sharing your insight. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I wish you and your audience continued success. And of course, great sales leadership and lots of new sales. Thank you. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.